Let feasting begin in the wild camp. Let bugles cry our victory. Let us drink, let us dance in our golden armour. Let us thunder on rivers and hills with our drums. Welcome to episode 23 of Carpon, you flocculent little terrier. You can follow us on Twitter at CopOnPodcast, forward us your spam to CopOnPodcast at gmail.com, or support us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month via patreon.com forward slash CopOnPodcast. Thank you so much for listening. Liverpool 4, Crystal Palace 3. This match had more twists than a snake jiving to Elvis. Bob Paisley would have been so proud on the occasion of his 100th birthday this Wednesday. Fabulous game. Liverpool now, of course, on top of the Premier League, still with a frankly preposterous, record-breaking 60 points. To talk about the Palace game and our present situation, I was absolutely cock-a-hoop to be joined by four guests. Joe Casanelli, who writes for The Times and ESPN, Jamie Connolly, Darren Wilde, who was there, and making her cop-on debut, Anna Sikora. Enjoy. Um, super. All right, then. Let's get into it. Uh, it was a heck of a match. I was, um, I mean, it was a brilliant match. It was the first time that Liverpool have won four consecutive Premier League games against Crystal Palace. We now have 60 points from 23 games, which is an all-time record, uh, beating our previous best of 59, which is in 1893-94, and 1987-88, that great Beardsley, Barnes, Aldridge team. Wow, what a team we have. Um, My very first question is, when you look back at this, I'm going to... I'm going to start with uh, Darren because Darren was there at the match at Anfield. When you're looking back um, at yesterday's match, what are the standout moments that immediately spring to mind in a game that was full of standout moments? So I think, first of all, I think uh, I have to give credit to the Crystal Palace away fans. I mean, that um, you know that uh, was a standout moment. I've only I think I've only heard Leeds. Uh, be uh, any louder than, than and they never stopped. I mean, so credit credit to the fans. I think secondly, you know, due credit to Crystal Palace. You know, they 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 were uh, hard to break down. And um, you know, but I think that um, you know, moving on to uh, Liverpool, you know, I thought that our resilience, you know, during the game. I mean, we absolutely battered them for the first twenty minutes. I mean, their goal was just absolutely against uh, the run of play, and. Um, you know, we we did create we did create a lot, um, but I think that uh, once we once we scored um, and uh, managed to kind of you know equalise, I think uh, you know our, our character shone through. So I mean, it wasn't wasn't a, a brilliant performance, but you know to be there as a spectacle, you know seven goals, uh, you, you know you can't well six sorry six goals you you can't um, you can't argue 
No, it was seven goals, was it? Seven yeah, goals. Too, too, seven too many goals. to count. Too, too many to remember. Yeah, seven, <laughs> seven, seven goals. Uh, it was, um, you know, it was just a great, uh, a great football game. So uh, yeah, it was, it was, you know, really, really good to watch. Yeah, great answer. I'm so happy you you got the chance to be there. Fantastic. I'm delighted. Anna's joined us uh, for the first time. Um, so welcome to Cop On, Anna. And you've got a heck of a match to talk about. What are what are your standout moments from uh, from Liverpool Four, Palace Three? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Um, I sort of went a little bit more specific when thinking about that question, and now I'm wondering whether I should have been a bit more generic. Um, First of all, wasn't it just wonderful to be celebrating the 104th birthday of that amazing Liverpool fan who got front row seats, uh, courtesy, of course, of Klopp? I think we were all a little bit nervous about how tense the game was and we were all checking in on him. And every time the camera panned over to him, we were quite relieved to see that he was still OK. Um, <laughs> But that, yeah, that was a really, really touching moment and very typical, I think, of Klopp. Um, again, yeah, I do agree with, with Darren in that it, obviously it was an incredibly tense game. Um, I think we could have been more controlled the first half. I think, I think everybody picked up, the fans picked up on the, um, obviously, the, the anxiety or the players picked up on the anxiety. And I think that makes things a little bit difficult. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit, of course, about um, about Salah's dive and, and Milner's red card. But would you prefer to go into that a little bit later on in the conversation? Ooh, there were two great moments, uh, yeah, very important moments from that match. I think we will go into them a little bit later. But uh, no, it's a lovely, it's a lovely answer. I mean, yeah, that that guy Bernard Sheridan was his name, wasn't it? And, uh, you know, absolutely fantastic birthday present to see him there. And he got to meet Jürgen and Kenny Dalgleish after the match as well, I saw. And, uh, you know, it's absolutely super. And, uh, you know, it's funny to think that, you know, it, was, it would have been Bob Paisley's birthday, uh, of course, uh, on Wednesday. He would have been 100. And uh, that guy's that guy's older than Bob Paisley. Absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Respect to that guy. Um, I've also got Joe and Jamie on the line. Uh, let's, uh, uh, Joe, I mentioned you first. So, so uh, tell me your thoughts on that cracking match. Well, yeah, I must confess I watched it with a, with a bit of a filthy hangover and I somehow managed to feel worse than I did when I woke up after that <laughs> game, and, which took some doing. And it was just a bit, um, it was a strange one, wasn't it? In that it was sort of a throwback to the, the 15, 16, 16, 17 days of we'll score more than you. Every shot on target by the opposition somehow ends up in a goal. And we even had the... You know, the, the flashback to the times when we didn't bother marking opposition when they had corners against us. But as, you know, the guys have touched on earlier, we really did show some great resilience to, to go behind to a complete sucker punch. Palace, you know, they had their game plan. They looked to exploit James Milner with Wilfred Zaha, who gave him the runaround sort of all day. And I think that we really missed um presence of, say, Jeannie Wijnaldum, who does offer a lot of cover to the fullbacks in that sense. And it was just one of those days where you, if Palace right at the end, when it was 4-3 and they sort of were on the attack and it was Zaha was stood up against Camacho 1-1, one one, you were just thinking, oh God, it wouldn't have surprised you if it had gone to 4-4 and it would have been, you know, typical Liverpool 
type thing, but we appear to have just about turned the leaf and turned a new page and not become typical Liverpool. We we find a way to win, which, as the cliche goes, is if you want to win titles, you just have to win whatever whatever the situation. But yeah, that's absolutely yeah. So a, a lot that I agree with in that answer. My yeah, my impressions as well. It does seem to be a sort of a a new Liverpool, a new defiant Liverpool, and I was. I personally, I was gutted at half time. I I went outside just to just to collect my thoughts, and I was thinking, here we go again. You know, in the twenty nine years since we last won the league, it's the same old story: losing, uh, you know, where we should be winning, and you know, not doing very well against teams we should be hammering. But you know, it it, it just said a lot about this new team, this new mentality. I thought, but we'll talk about all that later, Jamie. Um, I mean, tell me what, tell us, tell everybody, tell the universe what you thought of that match. Um, I think in, in six words, it would be something like little control, but lots of resolve. We didn't have what's been typical of our season, the midfield, shielding the defense well, controlling the possession, controlling the tempo of the game. But large parts of it, we really let Palace in when there was no good reason to, or, or Palace hadn't really shown any enough quality to deserve that kind of, um, I guess, the ability to stamp their own authority on the game, particularly when they, they came back in the second half. Um, and then another note, I was also going, going to mention uh, Bernard Sheridan. I think it's very generous of the club to invite him in at 104 and then give him a free heart checkup over 90 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He, I mean, the, yeah. I mean, you know, what a, what a game to go to 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 sit through when you're 104 years old. I, I mean, I I would I barely survived myself. Um, but yeah, okay. Um, I've got the stats for you in front of me. Um, we had 19 shots and they had nine. We had we had nine on target, and they had wait for it three. They scored three goals. Amazing. Uh, the first goal, of course, Townsend. Um, I'm going to stay with Jamie. Um, this was just a good goal, wasn't it? Yeah, certainly from the moment Zaha cut the ball back to Townsend, the finish was low hard. I don't think Alisson could have done anything. It's not surprising. They got joy down the side where we had Milner playing fullback. Um, I think had it been Milner or Klein, Neither of them are probably that well equipped to deal with Zaha's pace. Um, so yeah, it was a good goal. I think the timing of the goal and the way it came against our dominance, like Joe said, gave horrible flashbacks to the past couple of years. But then I guess credit to the team that in the second half we came out and, and righted that uh, pretty much straight away. Yeah, there's... there's... There's so much to dissect in this match, but uh, yeah, we'll try and stick with the goals for now. Does anyone have anything to add? I mean, it was a good goal, good cutback from Zaha. Um, you know, gave us gave us all the jitters. I think um, anybody, I'll just throw it over. Yeah, I whoever. think we. Sorry, I think we had a, uh, we did initiate a bit of a sloppy press, um, and I do feel that my expectations of Allison are so high at this point that I just assume that if it gets past Virgil van Dijk, Alisson will, will save the day. And that didn't happen. And I was admittedly profoundly disappointed when that goal went in. 
yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, okay. But do, I mean, do you think uh, really Alison should have saved it? Or? No, absolutely not. I mean, that that's just me prior to the goal going in. You just assume Alison, you know, he's like a wall, isn't he? And you just think, well, nothing is ever going to get past Alison. But in retrospect, of course, no, there was absolutely no way that he could have done anything about it. But it was, it was disappointing, I will admit. It was gutting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good point. Okay. Yeah, it was a sloppy press. I agree. Uh, it, but, uh, you know, fa fair play to MacArthur. He did extremely well under pressure to, and uh, so did James Tompkins to avoid those four Liverpool players uh, on top of him. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, it's something to learn. Maybe, you know, a bit of credit to, to Palace for doing so well. But yes, we could have been a bit more aggressive, even to foul them if necessary. Um, anyone got anything to add on that goal? No, I thought it was a good goal. I mean, I think, uh, obviously, as we said, Zaha gave uh, Milner the run around, you know, the entire match. And, um, you know, the fact that he got uh, away uh, away from him to uh, to get the, the cross in and uh, Townsend finished it well. So I think, uh, you know, all credit to Crystal Palace. You know, they hit us on the break and we, uh, we suffered. And, um, you know, I'd be interesting to see, you know, uh, because you know that the warning signs were there early on, you know about Zahara Milner. You know, I wonder what um, and on all that attacking was coming down that side. I wonder what they'd have done if they'd put Andy Robertson on that side and swatched Milner and Andy Robertson over. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, there was a I don't know if you remember in in, in uh, well, I think it was the I think it was the second half. Um, they switched Towns and uh, and Zaha. Um, they switch wings so Townsend was against Milner and he didn't get any change from him mm. uh, you know as they say Milner did sh did shut down Townsend pretty well but I suppose if you swap Robertson and Milner then the wingers can all also always swap anyway so I suppose you know you could man mark him I suppose uh, mm. but uh, yeah um, all right the second goal the second goal Mo Salah uh, after 46 minutes when I was on my own outside in the freezing rain at half time, thinking how you know dark the the sky looked. Um, I, I did sort of dream about Salah scoring straight after half time. Uh, it was a daydream I had, and then I immediately, you know, my negative mood cancelled out. I thought, no way. But lo and behold, you know, he goes in for a cup of tea. Uh, you know, he has a slice of orange. Uh, he sits down. I know he's probably checking his Instagram or whatever. Comes out after 15 minutes. He's got a ball that's spinning way high up in the clouds. You need a telescope to see it after Van Dyke's deflected shot. It comes down and to score with that, with that level of control and to make it look so easy is a true sign of class, Joe, isn't it? Absolutely, it was it was quite strange because when the ball was dropping from from the sky, because it seemed to take an eternity to come down, much much like the way that the Van Dyke uh, shot to Origi did in the derby, I was sort of screaming at him to like, you know, time, time. You've got so much time, you can probably take a touch and then even pass it to Sadio Mane because they were the only two players who seemed to actually follow the ball in. But Mo Salah, he's one of the best players in the world for a reason and obviously confidence is sky high at the moment. People might say he's not reached the heights or standards he set himself last season, but he's now 
out on his own as a Premier League's top goal scorer for a reason. And just the brilliant technique and confidence to just produce such an impish little finish like that was was fantastic. And as you said, it was just what the doctor ordered 60 seconds after arguably our worst 45 minutes of football of the season. And how were you feeling at that point, Joe? Were you, were you sort of like, right, we're back in it, we're going to win now? Was it like a complete shift after the first half? Were you like, OK, we've got this? Yeah, completely. I think that um, when, when that goal goes in so quickly after half-time, it's like, right, this is it. They've had the, the hairdryer treatment, uh, so to speak, from Klopp at half-time, and they've come out and they've just gone straight onto the front foot. And there's nothing worse than when you're playing against a team who, like Palace, have no intention of, of doing any sort of notable attacking, really. I know Jamie said earlier that we let Palace in a lot and sort of maybe probably made them look a bit better than they actually were because they had sort of no real attacking intent throughout the game, which sounds churlish to say, given they scored three goals. But we just didn't want to be behind at 1-0 on 70, 75 minutes because that's when you start to get desperate and the people start to think, oh, God, here we go again, typical... Typical Liverpool, bottling it, etc. So to just get that goal 60 seconds in, I thought, right, here we go. And then obviously, as we'll come on to a couple of minutes later, we turned the game on its head. And when that happened, I thought it was a, it would be a formality. And little did we know what was to come. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's uh, yeah, let's stay with that, and uh, and I'll go with you, uh, with you, Darren. I mean the. Because you were there again. I mean, you know, it's worth mentioning again. You were actually in the stadium. Wow! And um, you know, the, how was the mood? I mean, I imagine it was just like, 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 uh, like it seemed. I mean, the the whole pressure lifted. But my, my question is more like, how was the mood sort of towards the end of the first half? Because I think Joe's right. I mean, had that had we stayed sort of losing for another you know, a few minutes, the crowd could have, like, you know, found their scapegoat, probably cater, and would have started moaning. Um, is that fair? Yeah, I think it is fair, really. I mean, cater I thought, started really well. I mean, he, he, he had, um, you know, maybe kind of 10 or 15 minutes towards the beginning of the game where he, you know, seemed to be uh, pushing on. You know, he was uh, uh, controlling the ball well. You know, he went past a few players and, and, and seemed to, Seemed to be, you know, um, you know, seemed to be kind of up for it, and then and then he, he, he kind of, you know, drifted off a bit, and 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 certainly I think the mood, you know, at half time or approaching half time, certainly from the fans around us, um, in in the um, in the stadium, were you know they were kind of a, they were a, they were a bit frustrated with Cater and his um, and his game, and and you know there was a few comments of you know, he's having a bad game, he's not playing well, uh, and. Um, and he, and he, you know, did genuinely seem to be struggling. And so, you know, going down uh, one nil, uh, just you know, when we did, you know, against the run of play, I think uh, we got to half time, and, and people were definitely, you know, frustrated. I think uh, you know, you can always hear some of the some of the shouts uh, from around the uh, around the stadium. You know, uh, who were you know fans who were getting particularly frustrated with certain performances or certain balls or lack of movement or whatever it is. You know, but uh, we were just slower. I just thought, uh, for all of the for all of the intensity of the first few first ten minutes or so in the game, where we did look absolutely kind of dominant, um, we just never really seemed to uh, press as quickly as we should. You know, pass as quickly. But you know, then you know, half time came and went, 
and um, you know we come out and and it was a different a different team that you know whatever Jurgen Klopp said at half time you know I imagine I can only imagine he said pass the ball quicker because you know we came out and we were um, we were a, a much quicker team so uh, so yeah so the, the the mood at half time was um, was you know pretty subdued really given that we'd had so much so much pressure and so much um, so much possession uh, and we hadn't really made it count. It's a, it's a very good answer. And then, of course, it changed with with Salah and uh, and Firmino's goal. I mean, I, I could see on TV because we were attacking the cop ends. You could see parts of the ground going a bit crazy. Um, but was it the whole ground, Darren? Was everybody after, especially after Firmino scored the second in the fifty third minutes? Was everybody going nuts? Yeah, I think that was it. You know, we 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 managed to score the first goal. I think that uh, you know to equalise. You know, the crowd picked up. You know, we got uh, we got louder. You know, there was there was more energy there, and and you know, the second goal may well have been down to the fact that the the, the crowd you know had kind of picked up, and 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 the and the support had got you know much more vocal. Um, we we were two one up, and um, you know things were looking looking well, and then and then you know, we switch off again. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that one. But uh, yeah, with, with Firmino's goal, it came in the 53rd minute with a deflection. Um, I mean, was it lucky, Anna, or did we deserve it or both? Well, I just wanted to go back a little bit there for a second and just okay. say, you know, from Darren's, Darren's perspective, I think he does offer something a little different because for us, of course, we don't get to pick up just on how difficult it is for the fans, how frustrating and how difficult that is for the players. I think I said earlier um, that the that the, the fans are picking up on the, the anxiety from the players. And I got that completely the wrong way around. What I meant to say was that the players are picking up on the anxiety of the fans. And, you know, the fans are getting frustrated. The players are picking up on that. And it must be so difficult to push through that and, and you know, maintain that confidence um, to keep moving forward. Um, and of course, I loved the fact that the deflection was off of VVD again. Um, and Salah always seems to be in the right place at the right time. And I don't mean that in, a, in an accidental way. He just always, always where he re- needs to be. Um, and it did remind me so much of that Oregon goal. I always pronounce his name wrong, honestly. Oregon, please correct me if I'm wrong. No, that's good. Um, yeah, Oregon, yeah. Oregon, thank yeah. you. I will never get that right, no matter how much I'm corrected. Um, and, and Virgil van Dijk was already on the coach home when the goal went in. And I think, you know, everybody went crazy. Um, but I think, yeah, Darren, you know, is offering a, a great perspective of how things were for the fans um, and how that actually does affect the players, uh, you know, when we get to half time and, and, you know, they've scored and we're on catch up and, and everybody's worried and frustrated and anxious. This, oh, God, yeah, we, I don't know how long we've got to talk here tonight. But I think you've, you've opened up just, a, just an idea I've, I was thinking of for years, actually, about when you have players like uh, Gerard and Carragher um, in your in your tight in your side they're like local lads aren't they and they're like fans they their mentality is like fans um in many respects and i just sort of wonder if an out of towner if you take for example fabinho who's got a wonderful experience from from france and you know you just to have that sort of disconnect 
you know, not having grown up as a fan of Liverpool, just to be able to always keep his cool. Same with Virgil, you know, just to have a sort of outsider's perspective could actually work to our advantage. Um, yes, yeah, so Bobby Firmino, um, he, he was, uh, you know, I, I mean, a bit fortunate with the deflection that he got. Um, were you, what was your reaction, Jamie? Were you, were you uh, leaping around like a, like a sort of uh, drunkard, if you, if you steal a drunkard's last can of ale? Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much exactly what happened. Um, I think that lucky goals or deflected goals or, you know, the kind of the first two goals we scored generally seem to be a reward for aggressive teams. And we came out in the second half and we were really aggressive and we, we hunted down those two goals. And I think actually that removes to a degree the element of luck because you know, if, if Palace are going to be as narrow as they were, and they really did give us, you know, freedom of the wide parts of the pitch, deflections are more likely. The more bodies you put in the box, the more bodies there are for the ball to strike. Um, and I thought both goals, in their own way, even if they came, there was a slice of luck for, for both of them, were fully deserved. Um, particularly for Minos. I mean, when Cater put him through, there was no one within five-meter radius of him which is really shocking given how many people they had in the area. So, yeah, I was obviously delighted, and I thought that was going to be that. I thought then we'd control the game and see it out with a nice casual 3-1, and as, as often, I was completely wrong. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, because then, yes, of course, uh, Tompkins popped up. That was an extremely disappointing um, goal, uh, regardless of the fact that Jordan Ayew was was holding Virgil van Dijk down to stop Virgil from from uh, jumping and heading the ball, which I'm sure he would have done. So maybe VAR would have ruled that out. It should have done anyway, because uh, it was a foul on Virgil. But even despite that, Joe, it was just a, it was um, it was just like a, a sort of schoolboy schoolboy defending. I mean, it, it, as, as cliche as that is, I mean, it, it's it's a sort of game you see in, uh, sorry, it's the sort of goal you see in Sunday League, isn't it? Yeah, well, um, as I said before, it really was a, a flashback to the to the old Liverpool when we didn't bother marking opposition centre-backs at corners and appeared to, you know, seem to sort of concede from from all of them. It was, it's, it, I think the one thing we can say is it was actually very sort of atypical for this season. Um, we've been so good defensively that you can maybe make allowances to have for an off day. I think that while, while I do agree that Jordan Ayew um, was making a nuisance of himself and probably was holding Virgil van Dijk back, I've seen the goal again and for me, you know, you've got to think Virgil van Dijk's what six foot four. Jordan Ayew's maybe five foot ten, five foot eleven. He's he's not a you know, and he's not really built like a like a brick outhouse either, is he? So I think that while you can say he's been Virgil's been held down, I think that I actually think that Virgil didn't have his best game in a red shirt, uh, and I think that was one of the reasons that we were so so lax in the back. I just think he wasn't. <clears throat> as at the races as he has been. And I think that that was maybe just an example of how he was slightly off his game on another day. When he's more on it, he probably just shrugs shrugs off the attention for Ayu and gets in a better jump and, and heads away. But 
that's you can't really pin the blame on Virgil for that goal because someone has to be marking James Tompkins. It's not like he's you know the he's not like it's Patrick Van Aanholt, the sort of a diminutive fullback who's just sort of snuck in out of nowhere and got a got a head on the ball. This is you know Crystal Palace's main big bruising centre back with a free header six yards out and he's got time and space to to pick his spot and it's quite strange because Palace have actually got a really good record at Anfield in recent times. They've won three of their last four before before yesterday and a lot of the goals that they've scored against us over the past few years have been free headers from corners. I don't know what it is, but it's just something that Palace sort of always seem to manage to bring out the the worst in our in our defending and it was really was a schoolboy goal to concede, as you said, and it was one of those goals that I thought that I thought that Liverpool didn't concede anymore. Everyone's human, everyone has an off day, and hopefully that just serves to show Klopp and his team of analysts exactly what needs improving to ensure it doesn't happen again. Yeah, exactly. It's it's uh, something that you know we hope we can learn from it, as Klopp says. You know, mistakes are are um, you know. They they can be useful if you learn from them. So hopefully we will. Um, I've got to move this on a little bit, but I mean the next two goals were both Liverpool's Salah uh, after a big keeper mess up by. Um, I, I'm pretty sure he's the only person still playing in the Premier League who's older than me because I turn 39 next week. Uh, so uh, yes, I mean he's he's already 39, and um, he didn't make me feel good about my age. I have to say. Uh, because uh, that was a big screw-up. And then Mane um, in the 92nd minute. I mean, two goals that... I mean, by that stage, I was literally up, running around. I grabbed the the closest thing to me, which was a a, a throw um, that normally goes over the couch, and I was twirling it above my head, running around and screaming stroke squealing uh, at both of those girls and uh, sort of buried my head in the couch. Um, what was your reaction, Anna? Was it uh, a little bit more sort of reasonable than mine? Well, for a start, Owen, I'm definitely coming round to your house for the next game. Because it <laughs> sounds like an absolute hoot. Um, yeah, I mean, I was rocking, actually. And, and that's a true story. I was kind of hugging a pillow, watching my grainy stream, rocking backwards and forwards. <laughs> and I, I chuckled the way that Salah just kind of fell into the net. And, and yeah, and it was just a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a disaster there. Well, not a disaster, but yeah. Um, but at that point, I I couldn't relax. I thought, okay, he scored again. We're going, you know, conceding, scoring, conceding, scoring. And and I thought, I cannot relax at this point until another goal has gone in. Um, so I think when when Mane's goal um, went in, which for me that was the goal of the match. It was a great finish. Um, it was by far my favourite goal. And that's when I began to kind of chill out a little bit. Because there was just, there was, it was relentless, wasn't it? It was relentless anxiety all the way through. And I thought, okay, now 
they've got a lot of catching up to do and and I don't think they well they've definitely not got the time to do it although you can never be too sure especially with you know how we ended up at the end with, <laughs> with Milner going off um but yeah I I was yeah when Salah's goal went in that was great but I was ready for another one straight after so that I could breathe again it was just so incredibly tense it really was hence why I was glad that we kept panning back to the birthday boy to make sure that he was okay but yeah I I think for me that was one of the most tense moments this season um was was the Salah Mane goal at the end there totally yeah and and Darren were you were were people uh jumping on your back from the rows behind were you jumping on the rows in front Oh yeah, the place erupted. I mean, that's you know, that's uh, the goal to put us ahead. You know, I think we thought that was it. You know, and um, you know, and it was tense. I think that uh, again, you know, generally, you know, the only threat that was coming from Palace was down that, um, you know, down the side that that Milner was on, and 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 the fact that we we were able to get ahead and, you know, just you know. It felt like that was the winning goal. Um, when the Mane goal goes in, you know, you just think, well, that, that's, you know, there's no way. That's that's absolutely it. You know, we are going to win this game, even though it was so late in the game. You know, it still felt because of the way the game had gone that um, that, that they could possibly equalise. But yeah, it, you know, the place was the place, the, the roar, the, you know, it was just, you know, it, it was just out of body experience. It was fantastic. Brilliant. I know. So. It, it looked incredible on 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 the screen. Well, once I once I'd calmed down enough on on the replay, you know, I saw it on the replay and everyone going crazy. It looked brilliant. Um, Joe, that was um, you know, the Manny goal and then the Maya goal, the Max Maya goal. After I mean, the end of the match. How crazy were you going in, with your well, hangover? Well, yeah, as crazy as you can go with a hangover. I think that when the when the Mane goal went in, much like everyone, I think that the overwhelming sense was like, thank God for that, that's it, we've won. Um, and I was gave off a, a bit of a, a yelp, which I then regretted because my head was spinning and hurting <laughs> a lot. But, um, but yeah, it was the, the Mane goal, you know, who knew that that would turn out to be just quite so key uh, as it did. Um, and you know, as we spoke about before with Alison Becker, we've got such high expectations of him. Uh, I don't think it's out of out of order to suggest that he probably should have saved the Max Meyer goal and saved us all a little bit of a, a heart attack. Because I think that if that goes in with Mignolet uh, in goal, getting such a big hand to it, we're all up in arms of, God, typical Mignolet couldn't. Couldn't save a word document, let alone a football one. It's just, um, <laughs> and it was just one of those when Myers' goal went in. You were just like, "Oh God, that's the second goal in injury time." There's going to be at least another ninety seconds or so to play. You know, we've had Milner sent off, Fabinho's limped off injured, and we've got Rafa Camacho playing at right back and Wilfred Zaha licking his lips for the next minute or so to run at him. And it was just. It was all a bit unnecessary, <laughs> I thought, in the <laughs> in the end. And it was I actually think that just talking on the my goal, having seen that back today, I think that that is where we noticed the absence of Fabinho. because uh, he'd gone off injured a few minutes, uh, a couple of minutes before that, hadn't he, for, for Adam Lalana? Yes. And it left just Henderson as the only sort of sitting midfielder 
in front of the the back four under a late siege from Palace. And I also thought that um, Henderson played quite advanced yesterday, which I'm more in favour of him doing because I think he does better work there. But then he was then having to play in a defensive role. And if you look at the positionings of the goal, uh, the Maya goal itself comes from Mane losing possession in the middle of the park. And Lalana is basically stood, I mean, quite close to Mane and he goes out to, to press the ball. But then if you look at where the ball falls to Maya, he's right on the edge of the box where you would be expecting your defensive midfielder to sort of be there to mop the ball up. So it was just in general, it wasn't great play from us. It was sloppy from Mane to get dispossessed. You know, Matty could maybe do better in the battle against Wickham. Uh, Van Dijk's in a bit of no man's land. Camacho's only just come on the pitch and he's not a natural right back so he's probably not anticipating that the ball can fall to Maya and then Allison gets a big hand to what is actually quite a weak scuffed left footed shot from a right footed player and it just trickles in and then I'm sure as Darren will probably attest to everyone's thinking oh god here we go again and I'm pretty sure that when Camacho makes that really late tackle on Zaha you know when we're in the sort of the 97th minute and the whistle finally goes it was you know, even more of a sense of relief than when Mane scored. It was incredible. What a great feeling. Um, but yes, I mean, we, we we did concede three times at home in the Premier League for the first time since January the 21st, 2017, uh, when we lost 3-2 to Swansea and we had the amazing Ragnar and in defence, in central defence with, with uh, Lovren. Um, and the time before that was the 13th of January, again, January 2016, and the 3-3 draw with Arsenal. Um, for the, I don't know, I mean, the rest of, the, of both of those seasons, we, we did concede three or four, but away from home, not at Anfield. Um, is there anything to worry about, Jamie? Um, or was it just that Palace were good, we were on an off day, uh, Milner, who, who I do want to talk about, was uh, sort of isolated against Zaha. Didn't really have much of a chance. I mean, is there anything to worry about? It's just a one-off, just a blip. We won the game anyway. Yeah, I think that's the case. I think it's the defence and, like Joe said, to a degree, the, the midfield, particularly when Fabinho came off, were had an off day. They allowed Palace into the game. Um I think a whole host of factors which are largely out of our control. You know, Matip coming back in, I thought, particularly as the game wore on, he looked a little bit shaky. Uh, Milner having to play against Zaha. Lo- lots of things allowed Palace back into the game, maybe. But I don't think we need to be worried about our defence. We have the best goalkeeper, the best centre-back in the league, the best left-back in the league. Um, Fabino, fingers crossed he's not injured for a long time, is showing to be a real top-quality shielding midfielder. Um, also credit to him for that ball, for, for Salah's goal, before, well, his ball to Milner before Spironi's mistake, which is one of the best passes I've seen in a long time. Um, it so was no, very similar to his Mane pass in the Man United game, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And that kind of diagonal ball that we're bringing into our bringing into our play is really effective actually at, at taking apart these low block teams. So I'm not worried about the defence. I don't think that this is something that as a fan base we need to be worried about either because with Alisson and Van Dyke in the team we should have more than enough to hold back the, the majority of the sides we're going to face in the next 15 games. 
Would you agree with that, Anna? Yeah, I mean, I do think that Palace did play a lot better um, against Liverpool yesterday than they did City, if I'm completely honest. Um, I think that, you know, with Palace, they do have individual fantastic players. So, you know, it is that they are a good side. You know, they are. I think one of the biggest mistakes that Liverpool can make or any any team can make is to underestimate their their opponents. Um, and I think Liverpool have had such a lot of positive feedback, which is fantastic. Um, but you can also be overconfident. And I think if you go in thinking, you know, this is easy, we're going to win this, it's just Palace. And I'm not suggesting that they did, but there, you know, a little bit of that was floating around. And I think not everybody agrees with me on this one because I think most people would have liked to have seen a, you know, a full zero win. But I think it did us a bit of a favour because I think it's, you know, made us realise that we do have to keep improving. Um, and we do, you know, we've got, we've got, we've got somewhere to go we've got something to work towards we do need more control um and there are things there are things to discuss um and and yeah i mean i think it is finding that balance isn't it between confidence and overconfidence um and i think it taught us a bit of a lesson that we needed to wake up a little bit yesterday but just as has been said i'm not worried about our defense i mean how can we be worried about our defence when we've got VVD. I mean, that's just ridiculous all round, isn't it? <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, I do understand where you're coming from. Although, um, I thought there was something, maybe, um, maybe, Joe, you would disagree with me on this. I don't know, because there was something tactical about yesterday. We talked already, you, as you said. I mean, it's reminded you very much, uh, me too, of, of 13, 14, and our, our sort of gung-ho style. Um, but to leave... James Milner alone with Zaha. I mean, he got a red card yesterday. His red card before that was also against Palace and also against uh, Zaha back in 2016. That was the only other time he's been sent off for us. And so I thought it was a bit, a bit cruel to, to leave him alone with Zaha. Um, and I thought maybe we could have done something. And what you, what you were saying before about missing Fabinho, to take Fabinho off and put Lalana where he did in this sort of, you know, central midfield, not defensive central midfield, just left, you know, gaps and gave Palace the incentive to score goals. I thought maybe he could have done a bit better with the, with the team shape defensively yesterday. Am I being too, too harsh? I actually completely agree with you in that. Um, I don't, it just seemed in a way that Palace didn't, they didn't have to actually do all that much to have quite a bit of joy against us, which was one of the things that most frustrated me. Um, we spoke before about how their first goal came from, I think, if you actually watched the, the goal, the first goal back, James MacArthur, who, while a good, honest pro, he's not exactly someone that you'd have up there as, you know, first on your list if you were looking to sign a central midfielder for one of the top top clubs in the league. And, he just dances around a press of six Liverpool players are all completely out of position and pressing him, especially, um, you know, you're looking at Henderson and Fabinho are the two most guilty in that press. You can understand if the front three want to press him and Keita, who's also playing in an advanced position, but Henderson and Fabinho get caught out a bit and that leaves leaders completely exposed and they get the ball to Zaha one-on-one with Milner and then we didn't really seem to heed that warning either, I didn't think. I think that we miss Wijnaldum's presence greatly in the middle of the park because he 
He's very much the kind of guy who a lot of people might criticise because he he doesn't do flashy things, but he's always in the right place at the right time to to break up play. And I don't think that um, in Henderson and Fabinho they're not the they're different types of central defensive midfielders, each with their own qualities. But I think that Wijnaldum's covering for the fullbacks is something that that is greatly greatly missed. I think that we could have we could have offered Milner a bit more protection. I actually think that when Shakiri came on, his largest, his greatest contribution to the game was actually he basically went and played in about 10 yards in front of James Milner. He didn't really get do all that much attacking. He just played the nominal right-sided midfielder and looks to help Millie out. And, you know, it worked to a little extent, although I think that Palace, they obviously scored from down Milner's side and then they got the corner for their second goal from down Milner's side. And then the third goal, I think, probably comes as a fact that we're playing with 10 men and without, say, a Fabinho in there. But I think we also need to bear in mind our personnel issue in that the only change Klopp could realistically make when Fabinho limped off, because it wasn't a tactical decision, I don't think. I think that Fabinho did genuinely have an injury, which meant he had to come off. He couldn't remain on the pitch and... You're looking at who we've got on the bench there, and the only actual viable option you would say is Adam Alana. The only thing is he's not a defensive midfielder and therefore leaves us short in numbers for playing a 4-2-3-1 setup like we did. So I think there's lots to learn from. And it's one of them where yesterday our quality and class just shone through a bit more than than palaces. But I do think that there's a, there's tactical work to be done because if teams look at that and depending on how long Trent and to a lesser extent Joe Gomez are out for in the right back slot, there's there's places they can target us and I think that we we may need to tweak a couple of things position wise uh, moving forwards. But that's that's just that's just my opinion and I on this one completely agree with you, Owen. Although I'm I'm ready to be to be told I'm wrong. Well, uh, is he wrong, Anna? Are we wrong? Well, no, actually, I mean, Joe has just very articulately outlined more or less verbatim what I was about to say. I mean, we were talking about, <laughs> is there a problem defensively? And we were so down defensively yesterday, being, you know, Fabinho being replaced by Lalana, um, you know, Matip's first game back after injury, um, poor Fab limping off. I mean, that was a sight to see, wasn't it? And we didn't have a lot of options. And yes, you know, they played tactically. Milner was, he didn't stand a, a chance, did he really? They knew exactly what they were doing. They went for Milner, surrounded Milner. Um, and I wasn't really sure what else we could have done. I've often, you know, thought about squad depth and wondered what we could do and what we could change but I feel like we did the best with the resources that we had and the fact that we still won despite all of those handicaps I think that speaks volumes to be honest um, and I think that's why I'm not really worried moving forward and I'm not worried about Leicester um, because I think yeah we did have a lot to contend with and we still won um, and that's really the writing on the wall, isn't it? That's an excellent answer. Jamie, what do you think? Um, yeah, I largely agree with, with all of you on this. I mean, perhaps we could have given more protection to Milner, and I do definitely agree with Joe that the way we set up allowed Crystal Palace to attack us without necessarily having to try that hard. 
Um, the big question is going to be when we get Gomez and Trent back, um, particularly with, with Milner missing now through suspension, um, because we are probably looking a little light in defence, although there's not a lot we can do about it with three first-team, if you include Lovren, defenders out at the moment. But, um, but no, as I said earlier, I'm not particularly worried about the defence. I think it was a bad day, and maybe this is one where the management team holds their hand up and says, we got it slightly wrong. We gave, we gave Palace, you know, we left the door slightly ajar for Palace and, and they took their chance. But I'm not overly concerned. Brilliant. OK. So, um, OK, well, let's move on then. Um, general news, general Liverpool news. Buvac has gone. Did you, have you heard about that? Zelko Buvac, apparently, I read just today, a couple of hours ago, that he's, uh, he's actually officially left Liverpool. Uh, I don't have much to say about it. I think, uh, obviously, you know, appreciate what he did for us last season. And, uh, um, and it also throws into, from my mind, the biggest thing it throws into doubt is Raphael Honigstein's excellent book about Jurgen Klopp, in which Buvac was sort of um, mentioned as the sort of inseparable and... Uh, to Jurgen Klopp and someone who's like the brains of the organisation. I mean, that's sort of proved to be wrong this season. Um, uh, we're not going to miss him, are we, Jamie? It's, uh, I mean, it's all right. So goodbye, thanks for all the fun kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, we've had a great start to the season. Um, perhaps some sort of brain transplant with Pep Linders has taken place. But the <laughs> batch wasn't coming back. I guess it was legal contractual or whatever which which delayed this news coming out but good luck to him he you know did a good job for us while he was here and it's kind of sad in some ways it was he left in such a mysterious kind of uncertain circumstance but i'm sure he'll have a, a good career wherever he ends up yeah good all right well i'm going to stay with you jamie and i'm going to talk about happier news because uh, since the last episode of uh, cop on trent and robbo have both signed new deals um we've got so many great players on on deals until 2023 2024 now i mean this team i mean with football with it's looking great at the moment and on paper you would think this squad can stay together and grow together and you know for the next three four years and we can watch this team develop is it realistic to expect that, or, or you know, or are contracts just a piece of paper and not really worth very much? I think the fact that we've got so many deals done that our best players are all signing long-term deals means there's a real atmosphere in the dressing room of a bunch of guys who want to stick together, achieve things, win things, and it's one of the most exciting things to come out of this season. Um, the Trent news came through at about 2 a.m. here in Los Angeles before I went to bed, before the game. And it was a great little note to go to sleep on, knowing that I'd be waking up to watch the Reds a couple of hours later. Um, but we're really locking down a spine of players now. And the structure that has been put in place since Klopp joined and the kind of professionalism, or I don't know if that's the right word, but the way in which things are organized on and off the pitch means for the first time 
for a really, really long time. You, you can look at not only this season, but the future with a degree of certainty that things are really on the up for the club. And I'm so excited about this year and also the next few years. Yeah, great answer. Yeah. Anna, what about you? Trent and Robertson, new deals. How do you feel? I mean, I'm so excited. I don't know whether I speak for everybody, but I have a profound emotional attachment to each player for different (laughs) reasons. Um, And for me, yeah, at this point, we've just got such a fantastic team, such chemistry, the way that everybody works together. Um, and, and yeah, when you that question mark for a time that hung over Mane, that really affected me. I found it so difficult watching him play. I was concerned about whether he was doing his best. You know, was he putting his everything into it? Was his mind somewhere else like Klein? I know we haven't really touched on that. Um, but that always worries me when a player doesn't want to be there. And you just feel like, you know, are they really giving it their best when their mindset is somewhere else? And I think everybody wants to be in Liverpool. These players, they want to be here. We know Virgil van Dijk wants to be in Liverpool. We know he turned down other really fantastic teams. There was a question mark hanging over that. And we were all having a complete nervous breakdown when we were trying to sign, obviously, Virgil. That was just horrific. I think I can remember my brother needed a day off work when that fell through because it was just (laughs) heartbreaking i mean that's a true story um but yeah i think i think yeah that we do have a real emotional attachment um to these players so when they sign for the next 20 million years it is just like yay you know this is fantastic because we don't need to worry about them flitting off somewhere else or do we um i think that they're here because they really want to be and i think that they're as excited to be with liverpool as we are to have them with us that's an excellent answer um, and uh, but Joe, um, I mean, you know, sometimes I do have the fortune to 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 speak to some professional players. I've I've, I've spoken to a few in my life, and there is I do notice a sort of mentality where, yes, you're extremely happy as long as things are going well, as they are for Liverpool at the moment. Um, but let's say. I mean, I'm just playing devil's advocate and I'm just letting the dark thoughts, um, the, you know, the cloud of dark thoughts d- drift into my mind. But let's say, for example, we go another season without winning anything, which, of course, is possible. Um, is there a chance that these long term deals and this feel good factor could be eroded or does it seem to you from the outside that, uh, you know, this squad is together and these players, they mean to stay with us and Trent and Robbo will be uh, dancing around Anfield with the Premier League in their hands this May? I don't know. What do you think? Uh, well, I'd certainly love that to be the case. Definitely. Um, I think that I agree with the guys completely. I mean, it just shows that currently Liverpool is is a very good place to be, isn't it? It's a place where people want to play their football, a place where, you know, we've gone from being a, a group of players who are always had one eye on their next move after Liverpool to being a, a place where you can now actually fulfil or look to fulfil your career ambitions, which is which is essentially what you want to be. You don't want to be a you know a feeder club type thing where we, we lose an Alonso to Real Madrid, a Suarez to Barcelona, even a 
even a Raheem Sterling to Manchester City to a to a lesser extent as well. We don't want we don't want to be in that situation. I think that you know you need to tie these players down and strike while the strike while the iron's hot, if you like. And with the way that our form has gone over the past couple of years under the guise of Jurgen Klopp, I think you've got to act now and should for whatever reason that over the next couple of years Liverpool don't win a trophy and things sort of don't go the way that we would all hope and like and I, that I genuinely do believe they'll go, then you can say at least it has also been smart business sense from the club and getting these players tied down so that if for whatever reason in the future they did want to move on, then we would be in a stronger negotiating position as well. I know that's quite a cynical way to look at it, but I'm pretty sure that that's the way that the club are looking at it as well. It's a very good point. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's very important if you look at look at Arsenal and um, also look at the, the person that I want to talk about now as well, Felipe Coutinho has been um, again linked with a, with a move back. The latest figure I saw today was £96 million or something to get him back. I don't know how his deal was structured. I know it was in instalments, his transfer to Barcelona. But there's a very simple question here. Uh, Jamie, I'm going to go to you first. Um, Felipe Coutinho, would you have him back? No. Um... I think All right. that, <laughs> that, like, honestly, if you take me back to that Europa League run and that goal he scored against Man United, I think I almost wet myself. I was so happy. Like that was such a great goal and he did lots of great things for us. But he left, he went to Barcelona where he'd always dreamed of playing and that is great for him and I don't have any ill feeling towards him. But with that ninety million I'd rather it was spent elsewhere than than what he brings to the team because I have, think that Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is a very different player but more suited to to what we need in the long term. I still have faith that Navi Keita will come good. Um, I don't think that's a hole in our squad that needs to be filled and I don't think that's 90 million well spent. So, no, I mean, good, look, good luck to him. I always really liked him as a player here. I had no real ill will towards him when he left. That money bought him Van Dyke and Allison, so I think every, it worked out well for everyone to a degree. And if he's moving on from Barcelona, then again, as long as he doesn't go to United, good luck to him. <laughs> uh, well, okay, where would you put that ninety million then, Jamie? Where, what, where, where would you invest it? Where, what, what are we missing in our squad? I think we probably could buy one more out-and-out forward player. Um, I think the name that's being floated around is Timo Werner, but I saw last night that there are a few German journalists saying it's far more likely that he'll end up in Bayern Munich than, than Liverpool. But a player like that to help share the burden up front. And I think we're going to need to upgrade a couple of other positions. Um, people like Lalana, I don't think are good enough for the club. Um, Lovren too. And I think that money could be better spent Filling those kind of holes, not necessarily all on one player, but just building a squad depth where our second and third choice options are better than what we have now. Very sensible answer. Yeah, very, very intelligent answer. Um, uh, Anna, would you take him back, Phil? 
No, I mean, I completely agree with what was just said. And at the time, I likened it to being in a bad relationship where you have to beg someone to stay or emotionally blackmail someone to stay. So they're physically there, but their mindset is somewhere else. And I think that's what you're going to get when you keep bringing players back that have moved on. I think it's going backwards. I think, if anything, yes, they serve a purpose. But we need to be concentrating on getting rid of dead wood, just as was said. And it's not always a very popular opinion, like Lalana, like Mourinho, um, <clears throat> and several other players. Um, and just, yeah, concentrate on spending our money on other players, um, like Dybala, who would be absolutely my first choice that's where I would be putting my monopoly money um but yeah I think when someone's left the club for me that that's really it I think it's time to move forward very good yeah very 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 clear yeah very um solid answer and uh so that's two no's Joe um I would have him back yes uh I wouldn't pay much like Jamie's argument I wouldn't pay 90 million pounds for for Coutinho to come back if it were some sort of deal where Barcelona still owed Liverpool, you know, 70 million and that was kind of wiped off, then yeah, maybe I would I'd take him back because at the end of the day he's a fantastic footballer, he did fantastic things for the club. But if it were a case of you have ninety million or X million pounds to spend, do you want to spend it on Felipe Coutinho? You'd probably say no because as Jamie so so articulately put it that there are people like Lalana, people like Lovren, and as mentioned, Alberto Moreno there, who who are all going to need to be replaced uh, with better with better options in the squad. Uh, and I think that we also are an attacking player light, as we saw with the the whole Nabil Fakir scenario. There was obviously a desire to bring in another forward-thinking attacking midfielder in the summer, so. I think that we we will be looking to do to do that, and with ninety million pounds, you can do it. You can kind of spread it a lot more evenly across three or four positions. If you factor in the amount of money that we would bring in for some of the deadwood that that we'd want to get rid of, and I think that Liverpool as a club should always be looking to you should be looking to buy players who are going to make your current starters into squad players. So. If you would, if you say like you know, Jordan Henderson is a is a starter now. The idea would be to sign someone who would then turn him into more of a squad player, which is probably what the case in the long term, I believe, with Fabinho's addition would be. And you say, well, James Milner was quite a regular starter in central midfield, and then the arrival of Naby Keita or Jordan Shakiri is going to turn him into more of a a squad player as he gets older. So I think that we need to be looking at upgrading what we've got and spending our money uh, more wisely. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I would take, exactly, I would take him back because you have to, I don't know, I, I just put emotions aside and uh, forget about the fact that he, uh, you know, he was such a little, little turd bird or whatever <laughs> the word is. Uh, before he left, I just you know, forget about that. I just remember the twelve goals and twenty matches that he scored before he left. And I think you know if, if, the way that Salah's always there, as you said before, Anna, always in the right place at the right time, and just uh, have someone who can see it and just play the pass. You know, I mean, it, it would be lovely 
But yes, I think we have bigger problems. I agree with you, Moreno, Lalana. These these players need to be upgraded, and if we can, and even at centre back, I mean, three of our first choice centre backs uh, being you know injured uh, in the last month, then being Gomez, uh, Novran, and Matip. Um, I don't think that's bad luck. I mean, I was talking to somebody about Novran. Uh, the other day, who was saying when he when he played at uh, uh, Lyon uh, in France all those years ago before he went to Southampton, he he had problems with his fitness, and he still does. And it's like, you know, it's unfortunate. It's like like Henderson, for example. Some players, their 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 bodies aren't as strong as someone like uh, I don't know Sadio Mane, Luis Suarez, these kind of people. Um, so yes, I think in defence. Joe Gomez has been unlucky with injuries, but uh, I think Matip as well. I think it's a good central defender who can also play left back would be uh, would be would be my first choice. The next game is Leicester. They lost yesterday. Um, it was heartbreaking for them. I watched it. It was a heck of a football match. Absolutely brilliant. They lost away to Wolves in the last minute. Um, in their last few matches, I mean. They did brilliantly just before Christmas. They beat Chelsea 1-0 away, which is uh, bad for us, seeing as they're coming to Anfield next. Uh, and then they beat Man City on Boxing Day at home 2-1, which was a um, stupendous result for us. But then since then, they lost at home to Cardiff 1-0. They beat the Ev away 1-0, but that's not hard. They lost to Newport County away 2-1 in the FA Cup, obviously. Uh, and they lost to Southampton at home, 2-1. Uh, even though Southampton were down to 10 men for 45 minutes. But then, uh, yeah, and then yesterday, of course, they lost away to Wolves, 4-3. Um, so they're inconsistent. They seem to play better against the top six. Um, although they lost to Tottenham, 2-0. Uh, do we need to be scared of the wounded animal do we need to worry because no doubt they're going to dominate your thoughts as much as they are mine over the next uh 10 days until we play them until the 30th um do we need to worry about them uh, uh joe yes in the sense that i think that with only 15 games to go this season you need to worry about every every opponent i also think um this might be the first game in a while that we play after manchester city have have played so I think I think they play on the Tuesday night and we play on the Wednesday so the pressure will be on us to to deliver and ensure that their gap goes back out to four points if they get it down to just one so I think that Leicester are a team who they've caused us a few problems uh, down the years we've had a couple of dodgy results against them most notably more away from home than at home but you know Jamie Vardy the player who He's going to cause us trouble on the counter-attack with his, with his pace. He has done, he's got a great record against the top six clubs. If you look at how he, how he matches up against them, he scores a lot against them. He's a very clever player as well. I think if he were foreign, he would get a lot more criticism for diving, much like uh, our own Mohamed Salah does. Mm-hmm. But he, um, he's, as, as he's English, he probably would be described by pundits as cute and clever and intelligent in the way he leaves a leg dangling rather than uh, a cheating diver. But he's someone who who will look to do that. He'll look to play on the edges. Given um, I can remember 
when we played Leicester. I think it was last season away and it was a balmy 3-2 game in which Mignolet gave away a ridiculous penalty but then went on to save it. And that day, Vardy caused us all sorts of problems. He ran Joel Matip absolutely ragged. He gave Lovren a headache as well. And it was just one of those days where you just think, oh God, this guy, if he's on it, then you've got to be careful. But now we've got we've got VVD back. The only thing that I would say we've got to be careful with is when we beat them earlier this season away, we went 2-0 up. It was all very easy. And then all of a sudden, they got a goal out of nothing from the Alisson uh, from the Allison mistake and they started dominating the game and especially started overrunning us in midfield because I think it was the, uh, the in inverted commas, tried and trusted midfield three of Milner, Henderson, Wijnaldum who, who started that day and they, they, got, they got run a bit, a bit ragged by uh, Wilfred Ndidi, Daniel Amati and James Madison. So I think that we just need to be, uh, we can be optimistic, of course, they're in rotten form. Uh, I think they've lost four of their last five games. So hopefully they don't sack Claude Puel before uh, before their Anfield visit because the last thing you want is a new manager bounce. Mm, good points. Good points. What are your thoughts on Leicester, Anna? I can't believe we forgot to discuss Mo Salah's uh, dive, not dive. Oh, yeah, let's, let's do that. We, we, yes, we, yes we, we forgot that one, didn't we? Um, so much to talk about. Yes. Well, for me, um, yes, it was definitely, it was definitely. Initially, I thought absolutely Definitely no what? Because, sorry. sorry. Oh, sorry, sorry. It, was definitely, it was definitely a, I don't want to use the word dive. I think that's the problem. I want to use a, find a better word. What concerns me, um, it was a dive. There was contact, obviously, soft contact. Well, hang, um, on, hang, to, on, hang on, hang on. No, I'm sorry. I'm going to interrupt you because when you okay. say contact, where? Right. By, by his foot or with his well, arm? Well, I, mm, well, for me, the first, what I noticed watching the game initially on the grainy stream was I obviously saw the contact with the foot on the, the shin. Um, and there was a latency period, and obviously he fell. It was a little bit ham-silent movie acting for me. I, don't shoot me for that one. But I did have to watch it a few times before I came to that conclusion. It certainly wasn't something I noticed straight away. But I think it's important because Mo Salah is such a fantastic, skilled player. And I would hate for us to be distracted um, by him getting, you know, and we've already heard him called the one season wonder. We've proved that wrong. Um, and farcical, but I would hate for him to now, you know, get a name for himself as being the one that dives, um, because that would be such a distraction from what a, a truly skilled player he is. He's top five, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and, and that worries me. And of course, the opposition fans are looking for any excuse already to, to justify our win. And I'm touching wood everywhere for that. Um, and yeah, I would hate for that to be to become an issue. Um, yeah, I don't know what you guys think about the the dive. Oh, I've got tons to say on it, but I'll let someone else uh, go <laughs> go 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 in first. Uh, Jamie, what do you think? I think it's part of a bigger problem, which is the referees are so bad in this league a lot of the time that a player isn't rewarded ever for staying on their feet or. You know, we got so few penalties possibly over the last 18 months by players being too honest to go down when there was contact. 
that you can't have it both ways. I mean, if there was contact on the shin, I'm not 100% convinced there was. But if there was, and he had his arm pulled, in many ways he has every right to go to ground to highlight that because some of these referees, particularly ones like John Moss, um, who aren't the brightest lads, need it spelled out for them sometimes. Um, in general, if all the other fans in the league want to call Mo Salah a diving cheat, I don't care. He's the best player in the league. He's not a diving cheat. And if that winds them up or we go on to win the league, then keeping them more bitter and angry isn't one of my concerns. And I'm really happy for them to be upset. Um, it would have been soft. It may not have been a dive, but I think more demonstrating where the contact was because someone like John Moss isn't going to give you anything anyway. I did notice that with John Moss. He's, he's absolutely, he's in the club, uh, the rather large club club of incompetent Premier League referees. He's, uh, yes, he's there uh, at every meeting, I think. Uh, but um, he's, yeah, he, I put it this way, Anna, if you say that he dived, what's your definition of a dive? Because for me, a dive would be like when there's no contact, which, which Mohamed Salah has done, but so have a million other players in the Premier League over the years. And there are many in, in, in like Harry Kane springs to mind for this season and uh, Sterling against Shakhtar Donetsk. Every club has them. But do you mean when there's no contact at all? Or do you mean he's exaggerating the contact? Well, yeah, I mean, the first name that springs to mind is Suarez with me. When you said that earlier, I thought, yeah, we, we didn't discuss Salah. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, it is a contentious issue, isn't it? Um, and I think for me, obviously, when you stay on your feet, you're, you're not going to be awarded a penalty. And at the end of the day, we want to win a game. And if they feel contact, I can understand the, you know, taking action on that. I mean, I, I probably would. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's the latency period between the contact and him falling on the floor. And, of course, the way that he falls on the floor. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you, you don't know for sure, but it is pretty... When you watch it over and over again, you can see that, yes, there is contact. And, in fact, it looks as though somebody gives him... I can't remember which player it is off the top of my head, but somebody gives him a, a swift kick while he's down. So it, it does look like a penalty um but yeah there is that that period of time where there's a couple of seconds where he's oh yeah somebody's touched me and then he goes down and for me yeah I can understand what's been said that if it winds everybody else up if it winds up the opposition fans then that's fine but I guess I just feel he's such a fantastic player that I don't want him to be tarnished with that brush uh, because he's just worth so much more than that he doesn't need to do that um, and yeah, that's that's pretty much my stance on it. Oh, okay, fair enough. What what do you think, Joe? Um, well, yeah, I first of all I agree with the guys in that if Salah going down, getting penalties, winds opposition fans up, then then all the better. Um, I think a telling thing is is that the before this, the, like the sort of the last four or five times he's gone down in the box, he's he's actually they've been given as penalties because he's just been completely wiped out and they have been fouls. Um, one of the uh, one of the issues, and I'm, I don't really understand where it's come Well, I can understand where it's come from because I think that there's this whole, I think there's a bit of a narrative going around in general on, on social media 
that obviously opposition fans are of this mentality of anyone but Liverpool to win the league, oh God, it'd be horrible, etc. And they're just sort of looking for any sort of holes they can pick in the, in any chinks in the Liverpool armour. And one of them is definitely the calling Mo Salah a diver brigade, as you know, most Everton fans now spend their Saturday nights doing because <laughs> they're because watching them play football is pretty rubbish. <laughs> so they need something to uh, they need something to to distract them from that. But I don't want him to be tarred with the brush. I do think he does go down quite easily, is maybe how you would say it. But as Jamie pointed out, the referees in England are aren't great. Um, you know. There's a real lack of consistency in decision making. We saw that when Vincent Company got away with the the lunge on on Salah in the Man City game. He only got a yellow card, and you know the whole thing was the pundits were like, "Oh well, he's a good lad. He's a great captain. He's been unlucky with injuries. He doesn't try and hurt him." But it's irrelevant, isn't it? If Mo Salah doesn't take evasive action, there, his leg probably gets snapped in half. And but because he takes evasive action, it's not a red card. So it's it's this vicious circle of incompetent refereeing and then players obviously looking to get any sort of advantage that they can um, as everyone should want every player in their team to do and I want Mo Salah to continue going down under contact in the box because I want Liverpool to continue getting penalties whether I want Mo Salah to continue taking the penalties is maybe another issue another <laughs> conversation separately but, um, but I I want him to carry on doing it. I want him to carry on winding up opposition fans. And for the most part, he's actually going down legitimately. Um, People are like, oh, they're soft. There's only a really little bit of contact. But when Harry Kane leaves both legs sort of straight and really leaves them dangling and just so he guarantees a little bit of contact. Like I remember when when we played Spurs last season and Karius brought Kane down, I actually thought Kane could have just danced around Karius and tapped the ball into an empty net. And as it transpired, he missed the penalty because he went that he'd left his legs in there for him. But because you know, because Harry Kane is the now Harry Kane MBE, I believe uh, <laughs> he um, he gets gets away with it a bit more. I think that you know Raheem Sterling is another player who is unfairly uh, unfairly tarnished with this diving brush, if you like. He, Raheem Sterling gets absolute lumps kicked out of him week in, week out. And against Huddersfield today, he should have had a penalty, I thought, and didn't get it, probably because his reputation precedes him. And the only w- issue I would have is that if it gets to a stage where Salah is being completely wiped out and chopped down, but he's not getting the decisions, that would that is when I would, would start to worry uh, that his this sort of reputation is you know preceding him the only thing that we can do is just hope that he just keeps getting legitimate penalties and keep they keep being given because i hate to see it get to the stage where though i remember there was um well, there's a liverpool song wasn't there there was get everyone was going to have a party when suarez gets a penalty because luis suarez obviously had the reputation of aside from all his other character flaws as you might describe them as a diver <laughs> didn't he and he would Louis Suarez would get absolute lumps kicked out of him and he just wouldn't be able to win a penalty because referees were they were like I'm not being conned by Suarez I'm not I'm not having that and mm-hmm. the only thing is, is you don't want referees trying to prove that they're clever and that they're 
they know better and that they're trying to teach you know Salah a lesson so I think we need to be we need to be careful with it I also think that it's a general theme for for all big clubs if you look at the numbers of penalties awarded to the top six compared to the rest of the league it's actually comparatively very low and you look at a team like Crystal Palace for example just because we played them yesterday the amount of penalties Crystal Palace get a season for a team managed by Roy Hodgson, who don't really attack, is quite remarkable. And I think it's just a case of incompetent refs who are like, I'm not going to be a big club. I'm not going to help the big clubs out. I'm not going to be a homer. And in reality, they end up guessing quite a lot and maybe favouring the, favoring the little guy. Yeah, that's one of the things. That's one of the big problems. That's why I call Premier League referees incompetent on such a regular basis. I mean, I don't want to. They just, you know, prove me right every week. Uh, and part of it is that, is that they they play the crowd, you know, and there are some who are like home referees and there are some who play to this reputation and there, there are some who play the game, you know, like, uh, you know, if one team's 2-0 down, they will give the team that's losing a penalty as if out of some kind of sympathy. And they don't treat each situation as they should, which is as an individual situation that deserves individual examination yes it's a very good point but um that you made there joe i absolutely totally agree but anyway um i just want to talk a little bit tiny tiny bit jamie i want to give you a word about about the leicester match and then i have one final question for you all and then i have to go because uh you know i mean it's uh the night is is uh has has set in in paris and i'm going to go out dancing probably <laughs> So, Jamie, my question about is uh, is as follows. Leicester. Is that a question in and itself? That's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> right. Um, I think it'll depend who comes back fully fit from this trip to Dubai. If Trent, Ginny and Fabinho are all fine, um, I have absolutely no worries at all. If we're going to be without those four plus Milner and have... Vardy running at us and, and Madison picking out those passes. Um, I think it's going to be slight. It could be slightly trickier for us, but I have faith that we have plenty of time to prepare for this game, and we should have enough in our squad to to get over this hurdle as well. I like I like your confidence. I'm already terrified about it because I saw them yesterday. How quick they are with Gray and Vardy and Pereira. Oof, hurtling at us it's going to be uh, it's going to be very difficult but they've but they've got lots of problems in defense it's true so it could be another four three mm. um you know it's going to be a bit difficult that one i've just got one more question for you and it's about when you zoom out and you look at the fact we've got 15 games left we're at the top of the premier league for at least another couple of weeks um and uh, it's uh, a question of you know not simply are we going to win the league it's not as binary as that what percentage would you give us uh of a chance of winning the league at this point i'm, I'm really interested in your answers about this one because for me i would probably simply say about we ha i think we have about a 70 percent chance uh it's still it's there's a long way to go but even even then, I'm being optimistic, giving it 70. Um, what do you think, Anna? I'm quite surprised you think that, actually. Um, 
I think I probably would have felt the same yesterday, about 70%. But when I look at the fixtures we've got left, we've got the only things that would concern me a little bit is maybe we've got Spurs and Chelsea at home. We've got United, Everton away. And other than that, I, I really don't think I'm very concerned. I genuinely, for the first time yesterday, I sat there and I thought, we really are going to win. And I know it's so cliche, isn't it? We're going to, this is, this is our season. Um, but I genuinely, I, I'm up there at, would I say 99%? I've got wood next to me that I'm continuously touching, yeah, please I have do. to say. Because I know <laughs> of all the curses, um, but yeah, I'm really, really confident at this point. I'm confident against Leicester. I think they're the same kind of team in Palace as Palace in that they have, you know, particular good players, um, individual players. We're going to see Genie back. We're going to see Trent back. Hopefully, Fab. Um, of course, we won't have Milner. They've got questionable back four. Um, so, yeah, no, those are the only games that would concern me in any way. I'm really, really confident. Well, I like it. I wish I was as confident as that. What about you, Joe? <laughs> yeah, I wish I shared the same uh, same confidence levels as Anna there. Um, I, I actually think it's pretty 50-50 between us and City, even given our four-point advantage, just because... Just because of the, you know, the weight of history on the Liverpool players, the, the obviously the recent 13-14 um, scenario, the fact we don't have a lot of players in that squad who've actually gone on and won titles before is is something that you something that probably counts against us. Though, although we do have a manager at least who has who knows what it takes to go and win a title, but I think it's it's pretty fifty-fifty. I'm actually really worried about the next three away games that we've got because West Ham away is a game that I know we've done quite well at the London Stadium uh, in the past couple of years, but I used to hate Upton Park and we always seemed to lose at Upton Park as well. And with Manuel Pellegrini being a city old boy, you know, who pipped us to the title in 13-14, I'm sure he'd be very keen to do his old club a favour there. And then obviously United away and Everton away. I think that a lot hinges on these next three away games. I think if we can come out of the next three away games with the same points advantage we've got on Manchester City, then I might revise my my, my prediction. But right now, I think it's 50-50. <laughs> well, that's a very, it's a very interesting answer. In that time, I mean, we play... Uh, yeah, you're right. Our next three West Ham, Man United and Everton are our next three away games. That brings us to the 2nd of March... Um, and uh, in that time, uh, I know that City at the beginning of February, they, they're at home, but they play both Chelsea and Arsenal. So I don't know, we can hope that one of them can do us a favour there. Uh, Jamie, what's your percentage? How how confident are you feeling? Um, I'm somewhere between you and Joe. So I'm going to, I'll say 60%. Um, I think, yeah, it's between us and City, right? So that would be 50-50. Plus, we have this four-point advantage, and they have arguably tougher fixture, fixtures than us. So that'll nudge us up to 60% in our favour. But I think it'll be, until it's done, I won't be anywhere close to, to Anna's 99%. 
And so, as the tail attached just above the buttocks of episode 23 of Cop On Podcast starts to slink through the bushes and out of sight, I'd just like to thank you enormously for listening. Liverpool, Liverpool, top of the league. We shall not be moved. We are defiant. This is unprecedented. This is incredible. I hope you are enjoying it, even half a percent as much as I am, because then you'd be having an absolute whale of a time.